I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The Deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casella. With me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy happy Thanksgiving, belatedly. Uh, happy basketball season has started, uh, also belatedly. Um, the holiday season. Uh, is yeah, just holiday season December in December when you're listening to this. Is. Christmas music. Trees are being sold out in the street here in New York. Uh, yeah, just an exciting, exciting time here in 2020 as we march into winter, which will probably be brutal. True. Yeah, it's uh, it's it, it's been a week for Syracuse fans. Uh, <laughs> this is true. <laughs> we a uh, lot, 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 lot of dumb to talk about, but we're going to start with the basketball, well, the men's basketball team, uh, women's basketball, for what it's worth, um, did win the opener, fifty to thirty nine, defensive slog, uh, but some 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 good notes there. Um, but the men's team, we saw an eighty five eighty four win over Bryant. It was hideous at times. Um, really very little defense to be had uh, for the Orange. Bryant kind of did whatever they wanted for an extended period of time. Uh, they were, what, 53% from the field in the first half, uh, 34% um, in the second half. So some improvements um, still hit 13 to 35 uh, threes. Not a great look overall for this Orange defense that I think was already like pretty maligned um, going into this year. But then, luckily, um, SU shooting improved considerably. Uh, the team's basically flip-flop in the second half. After SU shot 31% from the field in the first half, they shot almost 52% in the second half to end up taking the lead. Uh, they were outscored by 7, 51-44 uh, to 44 in the first half, um, and then 41-33 advantage for Syracuse in the second half. Overall, pretty rough game. Uh, rough game in particular for, uh, for the birthday boy, uh, Joe Girard. Uh, two of 14 from the field, two of nine from three. Um, just six points on the game. Not a great showing. Uh, Dan, your, your your initial thoughts. Yeah, I was uh, I was home with my family watching this game and uh, had to do the whole, like, explain why you're not happy after your team won thing, which is always frustrating. But, uh, yeah, it's it was just, like, a really, really tough game to get through. Um, obviously... At the same point, at the same time, like considering the context of it, where guys had what one practice in the two weeks leading up to it, um, and Beheim like admitted that he made a mistake even having the game, and and you know I guess I appreciated that. I do think we need to keep that in mind, and then you look at games like I mean obviously Virginia Tech and Bryant are on the same aren't on the same level, but Villanova had a bad loss at Bohegan in overtime against Vatech, who you know they beat Michigan State last year, but then they ended up being five hundred, so they're not like you know they're, they're I think they're doing a nice job there, but they're not some great shapes we saw um uva lose to san francisco we saw kentucky lose to richmond um i don't know anything about the san francisco team uh richmond i know is supposed to be pretty good um so that's not as big a surprise and maybe bryant isn't like up to those teams levels but still um i think this season is so strange uh that it's hard to take too much away from these early season contests especially when you had syracuse in the situation they were in 
um where like because there were one one player and one and and Bayheim out like the whole team couldn't practice together which um obviously Bayheim harped on and I, I do think he had some legitimate points there um so yeah it's it's it was it was not a good showing I did appreciate that the offense seemed to find some stuff uh in the second half the defense I think was probably the major um the, the the biggest issue I think came with the defense and and the intensity and the uh effectiveness in terms of like just guys were not getting over, especially at the top of the zone with Gerard and Beheim. Um, you could tell, you could definitely tell they didn't have their lights under them. Now, uh, why we opted to basically play a five-man rotation in the second half, given the limitations in terms of our conditioning, I will never understand. Um, I know, like, this is just kind of the Beheim experience at this point. I'm well aware of that. I just don't know why in the first game you can't get Tadari Richmond some minutes in the second half when he looked pretty good in the first half. Um, and just, just to like get some guys, some, some fresh legs, like if for nothing else, we, we, we weren't going to lose that game in like a five minute stretch, especially once Bryant's went cold, but like, yeah, it was, it was strange to watch Beheim both admit that the conditioning was like basically down to like zero because of what happened. And that's not the team's fault. Um, but also then to coach the way he coaches, like an NCAA tournament game when players are in midseason form like that. So, um, it was frustrating. Um, but after like, you see some of the other stuff that happened elsewhere, around the country um i definitely like eased up on a little bit like you know if we, if we come out the same way against niagara um then i'll be more concerned and then you know that Rutgers game will be tough because they're, they're probably the best team in recent memory this year um and we're gonna make the tournament last year so they're legit um so if this continues to be the case uh even after the team is starting to get back into practice and get into their mid-season rhythm um then definitely have some concerns but I- i'm willing to I'm willing to take this uh, in the context of it being a super weird game and be happy with the win and uh, kind of move on from there. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to extrapolate too much out of one game with basically one day of practice. Um, Still SU should be talented enough uh, to be able to, to, I I think beat Bryant and and a similar team um, by more than what they did. That said, they still got the win. Um, while the defense was a disaster and I really hope that we see some changes there because again, like that was something you, me and pretty much everybody else said, like it's kind of key to this team um, outperforming what we saw last year. Uh, I think we did see at least some emergence of a like four man offensive um, attack. Now I, I think in reality, like you alluded to, we should be seeing a much deeper rotation in these early games, but despite the fact that we didn't, uh, Buddy had 21 points on uh, seven to 17 shooting, so not the most efficient game, but not the worst by any means. He hit four threes. Uh, Merrick Dolajai, uh, six to 12 from the field, eight of nine from the free throw line, uh, in a very nice game for him. Uh, 20 points, 10 assists, um, five boards. He uh, got a foul reversed um, late, so he was able to stay in. Um, a nice game from him, one of his better offensive showings uh, as a member of Syracuse. Uh, Quincy Garrier had 15. Um, a really nice effort for him along with 13 boards. He was 7 to 12 from the floor and looked a lot, I think, a lot better um, as a shooter than he did in the past. I'm sure Beheim gave him an earful for the uh, 0 for 2 showing from 3, since, as many recall, he said that uh, Garrier is not a three point shooter and many other uh, less nice things than that. Um, and then we ended up with Griffin having 17 points um, on 6 of 15, um, 4 of 10 from 3, kind of filling in for use um, here in this coming season. I think the fact that Gerard didn't even hit double figures and we still had four guys in, in doubles um, and managed to put up 85 points is a good sign for Syracuse, even if we're we're acknowledging the fact that it shouldn't have taken 85 points to beat uh, Bryant. 
Yeah, I, I do think there's something to that. Um, like, considering how poorly the team shot the ball for most of the game until, like, really towards the end when Gerard hit his two threes, which, to his credit, were, like, huge shots for him to finally hit. Um, the rest of the game was not not, not so good. Um, but considering all the struggles for everyone, you know, Buddy had a fine game, I guess. Griffin hit three of nine. So, you, you know, you want him to hit uh, probably one more of those, and it looks good. So it's kind of parsing there. Um, but you can kind of see the glimpses of a really – uh, potentially strong offensive team, Buddy and Griffin, probably have two of the best shooting strokes that we've seen here at Syracuse. Like Griffin looked so natural shooting the ball, and Buddy has an incredible stroke, obviously. Um, Gary A looked exactly aside from the three point shots. Um, and I thought one of those two shots was okay. The second one was bad. He should not have taken it. Um, but like, you know, you kind of hope a guy like that can knock down a three reliably if he's left wide open. I know Baham has different opinions, but you know, that's fine. Um, overall, I thought his game was great, like exactly what you want him to do. And he, he's kind of mentioned that with uh, Sidibe out, he's going to take on more of that interior presence uh, role. He's he's always he's been a good rebounder his whole time here, and that's that's always appreciated. He's a really aggressive, um, seems to have good instincts off the glass. So um, I think he'll have a big role going forward. And then Marek was great. I mean, he had – did they give him that 10th assist or not? I, I, I know there was some, like, drama over that. It uh, looks the like they, yeah, it looks like they, I mean, at least when I'm, I'm on cues.com and it seems like they've given him the 10th assist. Um, ESPN but I don't is really very different stats than cues.com. It's like bizarre. That's not they surprising. Are. Yeah. He, they only have Griffin with 14 points. And I think you said he had 17. I, 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 I don't know what's right. <laughs> um, it's like, <laughs> that's, that's a huge disparity. <laughs> it's not like, it's not, not like the, not like the company that powers these stats lives on Syracuse campus or anything. I mean, they very well might be right. It's just like, I don't know. I assume ESPN gets pulls them from somewhere that's not sidearm. Um, very strange that that's the case. But in any in any event, <laughs> um, Marek, I mean, when you have him, he's this was kind of like the the um, ideal of what we were looking for from him. He stores, when, I mean, they were giving him that. We basically ran like the inside out uh, zone attack that people run against us with him um, as the forward uh, at the key. And he can either, he's so long and so, and he glides so well that he can, get to the hoop in two steps and lay it up. And I know he missed a couple of those, but, you know, I think by midseason he'll be making those, especially with how, how much of a size advantage he has over the, a lot of the guys who end up picking him up there. Um, he's a great – he's probably our best passer on the team. I think it's pretty uncontroversial to say. Um, and he has, like, that nice little mid-range floater that I was, like, begging him to take those first double times, and he started to knock that down. Like, that's such a dangerous position for him to be in uh, as a facilitator and just uh, kind of a triple threat guy. Um, so I love that. Uh, I love what Darius brought. I, I like. I mean, I think Richmond uh, Griffin looks uh, exactly like the kind of guy that we thought. Um, Buddy, like you said, not the most efficient game, but still uh, pretty lethal. He has ESPN has him with twenty three points. So again, I don't know. I don't know where the point shift is here. <laughs> <laughs> it's kind it's of like, fascinating. They're just like apparating points out of thin air. <laughs> but he also but he also grabbed three boards which i know is not like a ton and overall like i think griffin had double digit rebounds Darier, um rec all rebounded well gerard did a bunch of rebounds so like the team actually kind of battled there more but i know buddy's just like total lack of rebounding was a storyline we had going in so he actually was like a little more active there although um, admittedly yeah well i I, th- I think i agree with you to some extent i, I think you know i have two rebounds on my sheet so who knows um but <laughs> r- r- realistically what i did see in the game was that he was able to rotate towards the basket um, when he was off ball more because with several shooters out there this time around, like last year, we just didn't see a ton of that with several shooters out there. He was able to read, react and actually move toward the basket, um, you know, for put back attempts while last year it was pretty much 
um, just, you know, him and Gerard sitting outside the arc, um, use maybe slashing or, or potentially shooting himself. And then, you know, two other guys standing around. Uh, but I did like here and, and, you know, we didn't even get to Sidibe and we, we will get to that uh, situation. Like even Sidibe, like in, in the, you know, sparing minutes that he was in, like you did see more activity um, from the four and five spots than we've seen in a couple of years now. And, and I think that that really did help you know, Buddy get more involved on, on the boards in particular. I think where, where things get more concerning going forward is, you know, Sidibe tore meniscus at least a month. That now puts the onus on, as you said, like Garrier, uh, Marek Dolzhai, like one of those two, probably Garrier really uh, at the five, which is fine against a team like Niagara or against Bryant, but may not be uh, once we get in, into, you know, the meat of ACC play. Um, I think we end up seeing more Kadari Richmond. I think Richmond actually looked pretty good. I, I think that it's a bummer that Beheim didn't give him more time to be out there. I think you see maybe more of Braswell, but in reality, it's probably more of Jesse Edwards or uh, Frank Anselm um, at the five. I still think that like it's it's unfortunate, but this Sidibe injury like probably has us in a six man rotation like almost immediately, which I don't love our I don't love our chances there. When you look at just how how we've run guys into the ground in previous years, um, and now we're running guys, we're potentially going to run guys into the ground um, against a much harder um, and more condensed schedule uh, this season. Doesn't necessarily like bode well, at least in my mind. Yeah, I, I agree. And we saw this last year. Like I thought last year, we saw some really interesting stuff from Jesse Edwards. Um, this year we have Frank uh, Anselm, who is also like a high potential guy at the center position. You, you'd think that we could afford to find even just one of these two guys, like five to 10 minutes a game. And whether it's not emergency situations where they're thrust into tough, tough roles. Um, I thought Edward stepped up pretty, pretty well last year in those times where he was forced to play minutes that he probably wouldn't have gotten otherwise aside from foul trouble. Um, I'm hoping that the scenario with this first game where, those two and then Braswell combined for, according to ESPN, eight minutes. I don't know what your, the Syracuse stats look like. I've got, um, <laughs> I, I, I've got Anselm and Braswell and Edwards with eight minutes combined. Oh, there we go. We had some synergy. Consensus. Um, <laughs> um, I, 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 I kind of wonder if Beheim treated this game because it was such a weird situation as like kind of a tournament game in terms of like, I'm just going to ride the dice I trust and get the win here because the team is not prepared and we could easily lose it if we treat this as a normal early season game, um, which maybe is the case. Um, but uh, I'm hoping that like when we, you know, as we get these practices underway and then we get to Niagara in a few days, um, he opens up this a little bit. Cause I, I mean, I just think we need, we need one of those guys to be able to step in and play not like not a, not a huge role, but just like, reliably play every every game i just I, I just don't see how a six-man rotation is going to do us good especially if we get into the situation where another guy goes out um with covid or, or injury or other or whatever and that's pretty likely given what's happening everywhere in the country right now um basketball and not basketball um we're gonna probably have to plug a hole here or there here and there for you know three or four games at a time based on just how everything's playing out right now um so you'd think that like there's even more of an impetus to get those guys some actual playing time and experience. Um, and hopefully this was just like a one-time, you know, weird scenario. Here's what we're doing um, for the bids. And then for, for Richmond too, I think Kadari looked good. Um, I mean, he, until the last yard three was outstoring him for most of the game, despite playing nine minutes. Um, 
like I know he had a he had a couple uh, fouls early, and that probably limited him a little bit. But he didn't play at all in the second half, and like we certainly I think could have used him at least for some like defensive energy or something, um, considering how kind of you know slow and sluggish Gerard and Beheim looked up there. So yeah, it's uh again like I said from the top, I, I think we kind of put this game in a box as long as like we don't see the same things going forward, um, and like. You know, we go out there against Niagara. Uh, when's that game? Friday? Um, uh, Thursday? Thursday. Yeah. Yeah. So if we go, there, go out there against Niagara and, like, you know, beat them by 25 and it looks like a normal early season game against, uh, uh, you know, low major team, then I, I think we probably put this one in a box and, like, kind of put it aside and just kind of, you know, acknowledge it for what it was contextually. But, um, yeah, if we roll, like, five and a half dies out there again, I just – I don't know. I, I – I've long struggled with this from Bayheim and like, I can learn to accept it. Obviously it's a lot easier in like 2010 when you have seven awesome players and you know, those are the guys we're going to play um, this year. It just seems like there's so much more reason to develop people and just get them ready because like, I don't even know, like I, it, we have no idea what like wins and losses are going to mean compared to a normal year this year. It might right. be a case where like teams are so broken up by the end that even if you have a bunch of losses, if you're like relatively healthy going forward, you might still have a tournament bid and like, then having a deeper team is a, is an advantage. So I don't know. I just think everything kind of weighs even more so than normal towards like, let's, let's try to have a full, a full team of guys who can participate and play like important minutes here versus what we normally do. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Yeah, and and I completely agree with you that, like, yeah, let's put this game in a box potentially um, if everything works out against Niagara the way we hope. But, like, at the same time, I do feel like we're already trending toward I mean, I don't have any inside information. I know you don't here either. But like, if we run a six-man rotation here this year for most of this season, you're gonna chase off another guy or two. And like, we don't necessarily have the ability to keep replacing, you know, two transfers, uh, two three transfers, an offseason here. You know, uh, as you already had several guys transfer out last year. I, I think we've seen an increasing number of guys transfer out. Like, you know, a guy like Braswell, if he feels like he can't see the floor, if a guy like um, you know, John Ball Ajak, who didn't see the floor at all um, in this past game. Like, it, it does, I mean, uh, you know, Newton, too, like, you know, didn't see the floor. I, I just think where we're getting, the more this team trends towards a six-man rotation, especially early, the more likely it is that we're going to accidentally chase guys off. And, like, I don't necessarily, I know that's not the intention here. And, may, and again, if this game is just in a box and we see a, a seven or eight man rotation, at least in these, these coming few games, like then sure, like all's forgiven, we move on. But I, I do have questions and I know many should have questions if we're only going six men in these early games that like, it, I don't see how we long-term develop depth or, or really faith from, um, you know, prospects um, who, who want to play, but also might not be, you know, an NBA ready guy um, right out of the box. And it might need a year or two to come to develop, but you develop obviously by getting those minutes um, early, even if it's just, you know, a handful in garbage time. Yeah. I think this is a good conversation to have, honestly, because 
we've seen such a shift in both football and basketball with how frequently people transfer. I mean, we've seen it a lot here at Syracuse. I mean, it seems like we have a, a die or two leave every year now, and that's not abnormal for Syracuse. But I do think that Bayheim could it, – it's probably hurt us a bit more than um, some other schools because these – you know, every single year we have new freshmen stepping in, and in a normal situation maybe they'd be like the eighth or the ninth guy in the rotation and kind of understand that. But instead, it looks like they're probably the sixth or seventh, but they still struggle to get minutes in that situation, and that's really demoralizing. Um, so I can imagine there are guys – you know, or there are other programs similar that are similar where, you know, you at least know if you are like the third or fourth guard on the team, you are going to play around this many minutes every night. And maybe that shortens towards the end of the season, but at least it looks like there's a plan for you moving forward. And like, not to, not to question Bayheim's uh, rotations, he's, you know, he's been kind of locked in for so long and it's worked out more often than not, but it does seem like with people more transfer happy and there being more options for players, um, just the way he goes about things ends up like hurting more because there are a few guys that are, that are willing to, to wait it out. And like, you can, you know, you don't have to, to blame that on Bayheim or blame it on the player. It, it is what it is. But I think with how the sport works now, um, you, you, I almost wish that he would open things up just if only for that reason, because I think you kind of have to hold on to some of these guys and, and see what you have as, you know, when they hit their junior year and, I don't think the trade-off being like a few minutes per game or at least like some light um, to show them that there's like a pathway to playing here is like that much of uh, to trade off for, you know, potentially having a player who will be really valuable down the line. Now, like to this point, I don't think we've seen, you know, hugely, uh, you know, we haven't had like guys transfer elsewhere and become like these huge, huge players, except for maybe like BJ Johnson. Um, like so far, you know, Jalen Terry has a role and, and Bryson Bidding have roles on their teams, but we haven't seen a guy turn into like a star except for like arguably Johnson at, at, at Drexel. Um, but like eventually that's going to happen. It's going to like look really stupid that we, you know, weren't giving a guy like eight or nine minutes. Now, if a guy gets that and still transfers, that then it is, again, like you can't do anything about it. But I just, I, I, I do think that the way Bayheim's done things, and I, I'm not even blaming him for doing them this way, I do think they don't quite mesh uh with the modern college basketball like situation at this point um and i do hope he kind of adjusts because it's you know uh, i i'm all for playing the guys that, that it takes to win the game but it, it, i do think it's starting to have a an effect on the roster where we have so much turnover every, every year and we have so you know we're going into a lot of seasons without uh much experience at giant shots of positions this year we kind of do um but also it's experience for like a pretty mediocre team last year and it's you know still not like an ideal roster formation for a number of reasons so yeah i'm hoping that we don't have this situation with like i think i mean he, he praised richmond so much i can't imagine him not having a big role in this team uh and but you know I, I assume he'll be playing more than those like nine minutes that he had uh this first game but um yeah especially with the bids like i just i i think we've kind of shot ourselves in the foot a little bit and like at some point one of these guys is going to turn into a, like a great player somewhere else and we're going to look back and like wonder what happened there yeah i mean just to kind of close this conversation now and because there's, there's so many ways we can go with it but i i do feel you know with football you, you there's obviously a lot more players on a roster also like when a player announces they're transferring it's usually at the end of a season right before early signing period and then signing day after that the calendar works a little bit different with hoops. And, and I think just because of how the nature of those top players um, making decisions is that since you have so little turnover, like when, if we're getting, you know, two guys announcing they're gone in April 
Um, there's no real opportunity to resuscitate that year's class. Um, or there's no real opportunity really to replace those guys with, you know, top 200 level, uh, mm-hmm. t- or especially top 100 level, but even top 200 level talent. We don't have the opportunity to really fill those spaces with the, with the caliber of player that, that Syracuse, um, you know, has brought in for most of the last four decades. So that's, I mean, one of the, one of the bigger issues is not to knock some of the guys on the team, but like, cause, cause I mean, that dynamic has allowed us to add a guy like, you know, Dolajai who wasn't necessarily, um, you know, highly touted, but it's also put us in a situation where we're just adding guys cause we have to, not because we need to or want to. Um, and, and I think it creates this, you know, constant like rush to fill roster spots versus being able to build out, you know, one-year plans, two-year plans, four-year plans for these guys and these ro- and these rosters and what they're going to look like. And instead, we end up in this this constant one-year cycle um, on what the roster is going to look like. Yeah, it just it it makes it really hard to like work around building classes. And obviously, there's a little bit more of an art to it in football because of the the size of classes, but also there's less of a like guys in football are going to transfer if they're going to transfer because aside from quarterback, which is probably like the most basketball type position in terms of playing time, like where there's just a lot fewer, you know, there's only one ball. Um, like if you're a, if you're a cornerback, you're either like, you kind of know where you sit with that team. And it's, if you're good enough, you're going to play just based on the amount of guys who play at a position every game. Um, so, you know, it's also easier to withstand because you're probably bringing in a number of guys. Obviously, you can find running like issues with offensive line, which we've seen, and, and quarterback especially. But basketball, like you said, you run, like, it's just the way, uh, based on how the recruiting works, like, yeah, there are diamonds in the rough you can go find late. Um, but it's very hard to recover, um, tr- like, first year transfers like that. And it, it just really throws your whole, like, roster construction into a loop, unless you're a Duke or Kentucky where you're just plucking whatever blue chip out of you know they as long as you're not recruiting against the other one you're probably going to be able to get your guy if you really want him so um yeah it's just uh, i i just think uh we need to kind of move into like it seems like we're lagging a few years behind in terms of like the strategy there and that probably i'm not as worried about like the actual classes we've been bringing in like i i think you know the the dear johnson thing we all knew that was going to be a kind of a, a shot in the dark anyway so that doesn't really phase me too much. Um, you know, I think we've brought in other really like impressive players the last couple of years. It's just a matter of like when, when you're, you're hemorrhaging one or two per class, even if they're like at the bottom of, of where you're supposed to be, there's no guarantee that the two that you replace them with, especially if it's late in the process are going to be um, adequate fill-ins. And then like those dice transfer. And then you just have this like cycle of you're always, there's always like two basically like dead spots in your roster that could be used elsewhere. Um, and then transfers are, are obviously t- getting in transfers is uh, kind of a crapshoot too. We've we've had thought we've had uh, big guys who have ended up going elsewhere, and it's uh, it's tough to just like prepare adequately for. Yeah, I agree. I mean, realistically, um, and I'll close on this. Like, I think one of the other issues for Syracuse is obviously adapting to the transfer in you know the inbound transfer market. It's worked uh, to some extent for several players, but the the, the zone does present its own issues, um, and I, I think we've seen that kind of repeatedly. Um, for guys like not named Elijah Hughes um, in, in recent years. So I, I think that's another consideration that SU has to kind of uh, take under advisement. And it's something that's going to be interesting and, and hopefully positive to watch um, as a change uh, in the coming seasons. But uh, Dan, I know we had a little bit more time to uh, consume beverages and, and just relax in, in the, the last week. 
So uh, what have you been drinking? Uh, so most of it, it over Thanksgiving, I had a bunch of two roads. I had some Road to Ruin. I had some Rosemary's Baby, which is their pumpkin. Um, unfortunately, I was trying to, I think last we spoke, I was like, oh, I'm definitely going to do that to like my local like good independent liquor store, or, uh, uh, beer, craft beer store um, up here in New York by my apartment before I went back to Connecticut for Thanksgiving. And uh, they were closed when I went. I was actually very worried that they had closed permanently, but it does not appear that they have. They just happened to be closed on the Sunday that I tried to do. So I didn't get to stock up on like a bunch of new stuff, but I, uh, my, my family uh, luckily grabbed some two roads for me without me even asking. So that was, that was nice. Nice. Um, on my end, I had a bunch of different things. Um, I had uh, Timbo pills from Highland Park. I know I usually mention that one. Um, it's definitely a fixture. Had uh, from Celador Ales uh, up in North Hills. Uh, at a, it's a red wild ale with uh, cedar and maple syrup. Uh, very, very good. Not too sweet. Actually comes off as more of a Flanders. Uh, so very enjoyable drink there. Um, down in Orange County, I had some uh, Chapman Crafted uh, Bitterness Engaged IPA. They're a Scenic Root IPA. Also they're uh, Chapman Crafted Pills. Um, so I had some Firestone uh, Nitro Merlin. Uh, milk stout and then the other night i had uh split my wife the uh, infinite wishes uh from smog city um it's a barley's imperial stout but the uh, coconut and vanilla variant um, i was a little concerned about the coconut and vanilla uh fading over time and it ends up this is from back in march um and ends up it held up pretty well so i was really glad to uh to be able to have that one very nice Yes, I will. I will. I'm going to give it another shot. Uh, Jonah grab some new stuff, hopefully, in the next couple of days, since it does look like my my spot is still open. Uh, that was going to be really sad if they had closed after opening in May in the middle of this. So, um, luckily, I just think I caught them in a bad time. But uh, nice to hear one of us got a, a nice variety. Not that I'm complaining about my, like, just <laughs> going through a full sits back of uh, Roads to Ruin. Um, super nice double IPA. So, um, yeah. Just uh, we're gonna it's gonna be ramping up in the in the coming months, especially if the weather's gonna be like it was today here. Fair enough. Um, all right, Dan. I guess we have to talk about the football team. Uh, we're not gonna talk much about the Notre Dame game because we all we all know what's gonna happen there. Um, <laughs> however, uh, stupid football thing that happened on Saturday, uh, on top of the just usual stupid football thing that is a, a Syracuse game, Rex Culpepper. Among many, many mistakes in this game, and I'm not going to just like pile on him the whole time because that's like that's not fair necessarily. But a lot of silly mistakes, and then kind of culminating in um, with time running out and no timeouts left after Taj Harris pretty much single handedly like dragged us down the field with a chance to tie the game. Um, pretty much how the whole offense worked. Yeah, pretty much how the whole offense was. Occasionally, Taj Harris broke a big play, and uh, that was pretty much it. <laughs> 13 catches for Harris. Uh, he's so good. Yeah. He's just not getting his due. Like, even compared to, like, the, the like every year we talk about how, like, the, every year there's the one receiver who, like, is the guy basically in this offense. And, like, Taj is very much that this year, and he's just not getting nearly as much hype. But he's been just incredible this season. Um, so, you know, hopefully he, he gets his due at the end of it. Yeah, I mean, 50 catches, uh, 664 yards for him on the season, five touchdowns. Um, I don't know where that ranks. Anthony Quilly's actually having, like, a decent – Quietly a decent season. Um, yeah, really has been good too. I actually, I, I mean, I like these receivers. Nikeem has, has like, you know, had the, had the big one play, big play on game. A, yeah. I mean, that's, you'll take that. Like if you yeah. have a guy who has one big play a game, that's a hugely useful player. Um, I, I like the receivers about as much as they did coming into the season. They've been, uh, they've dealt with a really tough quarterback situation. Uh, so it's, 
like the fact that they've been as productive as they have, especially uh, Taj, like he's going to probably end up with like 700 yards with a season where we're going to end up playing four quarterbacks. Um, that's, that's brutal. <laughs> like, and, and good for him for, for cutting out as much as he did, which is like, yeah. And then he missed a game too. Um, just really impressive from him. Even if he doesn't end up with like the, the Tomba numbers or the, or the Ishmael numbers. Oh yeah. I think realistically he'll still end up hopefully like getting ACC honors. He's, you know, right now he's fifth in yardage. He's fourth in receptions. He's tied for seventh in touchdowns. I mean, that should, even if it's not first team honors, uh, that should get him, you know, second team. And again, huge caveat that like the passing game has been an absolute disaster. And so, also we're just playing fewer games in general. So like, like it's aside. And then he, he missed a game. He had Louisville. He, you know, no one could catch anything, but he had one catch for 11 yards. Um, and they only had three, three for 12 in his week, but every other game he's been like hugely productive. So it's um, yeah. He, hopefully again, like you said, I hope he gets ACC honors. Cause that'll, that'll be more than fair for a season where he's in a, you know, if we had played a full year with like the, the easier opponents early on, he probably would have gotten close to a thousand yards, if not broken it. Yeah. And I think that's the expectation a lot of us had, at least initially. Um, but yeah, now, now that we've, uh, now we've talked positively about Taj. Um, so Rex decided to take a, uh, and, and I say decided because I don't really think you could describe this action any other way. Um, decided to take a long sack on third down when we had no timeouts left. And then, we actually did get a snap off on fourth down, needing to get the ball in the end zone. And instead of running a play, Rex Culpepper spiked the football on fourth down, effectively ending the game because there's only it one was, second left. One of the was, dumbest things I've ever seen. And like, that's not like, I'm not like attacking him as much as I'm just saying the play in general was one of the dumbest things I've ever seen. I feel like awful because obviously Rex is an awesome story and yeah, he's a great person. He like, said about so, that. Yeah, no, he deserves so much credit for, for fighting through uh, cancer a couple of years ago and staying on the team. Um, clearly being a part of the team means a lot to him. Um, and, you know, again, in another year in another universe uh, where we can all go outside and enjoy our, our, our lives, like Tommy DeVito doesn't get hurt. And Rex is like the really nice, like veteran backup who can come in and occasionally throw like a long touchdown. Um, that wasn't the case. He was thrust into a position where, uh, you know, most didn't see him being uh, in this year. And at the same time, like he's a, he's a fifth year senior. Um, you have to know the down, like it just, there's, there's just no excuse for it. It's uh, it's devastating. I feel terrible for him. Um, but it was about as bad a, an end of game as you can get. And it was like, right before, right before the snap, I forget who the, who the color analyst was. He said like, you know, you can't, you can't uh, spike the ball here. It's fourth down. And as soon as he said it, I, I popped my head. I'm like, oh no, he's going to spike the ball, isn't he? And it then definitely he looked the ball. like it, like as they were running up to the line. I was like, well, I think that's why like I said it. A, yeah, they look like they're running a play here. What's going on? Just, and, and, and it's not to totally absolve everyone else. Like we ran the ball on first down with four, we have 45 seconds left, I think, to start the, start the set of downs. Um, rushing up to the, to, to get a playoff. We run a, a dive basically. We'd, uh, which kills like 20 yeah. seconds off the clock, oh, yeah. which is a Miserable. horrendous, horrendous play call. And that's on Babers and, and Gilbert. Like that's horrendous. Also, play like call. The, 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 the same people that were calling plays when we didn't run the ball at all inside the five, <laughs> yeah. like earlier in the game. With no timeouts, you cannot run the ball there. And also spike you and you, you throw the ball because you don't want to have to spike it because you don't want to waste it down. Downs are incredibly valuable when you can't get a new first down. Um, and in 45 seconds, it's not like you're going to run five plays. Like, you got to throw the ball every play there. 
Um, so it's just very frustrating because when you have a defense off balance like that, it kind of, I think it, it, it can help negate um, some of the offensive line struggles. And then to have Rets um, after the, the horrible first down spike and the second down play just didn't look good. But like you can live with a, a ugly looking play that's incompletion. It's fine. That comes with the territory there. Um, third down, you cannot do what he did and waste all that time. Basically, like, I don't know how much time he ended up losing, like 14 seconds or so, running around, losing so much yardage, and then taking the sack. And Which then didn't have to do. <laughs> no, just absolutely not. You got to throw the ball away there. Just the like, if it was one of it's, it wouldn't be much. It wouldn't be really any better if it was another player. Uh, but if it was one of our freshmen, if it was Mark Markowitz or, or Morgan in there, you, it's it's a little easier to say like this guy. You know, he obviously played high school ball, but he doesn't have all this time uh, in the program. Um, the the spotlight's probably pretty big for him. And like, not that it wasn't for Rats, but he's been in the program for years. He's you know he played year, a couple years ago, got in, um, played the majority of the games this season. It's you just have to you just have to rely on uh, you have to know that your guys your your quarterback's not going to make a mistake like that. So obviously part of that's you know coaching, but also it's hard to. You would think that you don't need to like tell people to remember, you know, know it's fourth down. And I'm sure people were yelling fourth down from the sideline. Obviously, I, I wasn't there, but it's, uh, yeah, it was hard to watch. It was very, very frustrating. More frustrating because we could have won that game. Like we could have beaten a sits win, a pretty good looking NC State team, um, played right with them. The defense, again, obviously there were drives where they got lit up, but they looked pretty good overall. Um, made Bailey Hotman obviously put up big numbers, but there were a couple times where we were just teeing off on him. Uh, the Even through the touchdowns, good. though, like, like realistically, you oh, know, the two catches were like great catches. Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like circus catches to to, to finally beat Garrett Williams and Fiti Melifanu, neither of whom had allowed a touchdown on the season. Like, realistically, like we're a couple circus catches away from this being a completely different game. Like SU right. just managed to like botch too many drives. They left four points on the on the field um, when they had to settle for that uh, field goal to go up 13, seven instead of, uh, instead of 17, seven, like that's really like the story of the game before the snap. But like, unfortunately everyone that, that helped create the snap uh, and, and, and spike ball problem, you know, um, Culpepper and then like play calling, like we're they, like every, all of those people were all involved in, in all the decisions that got us, that, that, that got us to the point where we didn't score enough points. And I'm not going to then, because of that, I'm not going to peg, you know, Melifonwu and, and, and Williams with the, the problem of, you know, allowing circus catch touchdowns. Like, realistically, like, that happens. It sucks, but it happens. And realistically, like, they still played, I thought, fairly good games um, overall. Besides that, I mean, they've been two of the best cornerbacks in, in, in the conference all season. Like, I'm not going to hang this loss on them. When when there's clearly like a couple parties that are a lot more involved in a why we didn't score enough points and b why we were in the situation we were in at the end of the game. Yeah, like you can live with circus touchdown catches. You'd rather I'd rather have my guy just dead beat than than like anything else. So yeah, just very frustrating. Like it's infinitely more frustrating that we were in the game. And you know, if we just had four downs there at the end and couldn't store, it's it's still very frustrating. But you live with it. Um, to, to, to botch those last two plays, honestly, the three of the last four, the way that we did, um, really awful. Um, and I also had someone chime in on Twitter yesterday, uh, tell, uh, telling me that they were both a Syracuse and a, an LA Chargers fan. And, uh, for that person, I am so sorry. <laughs> like <laughs> if you guys, I assume everyone listening to this watch the Syracuse ending, the Chargers ending, 
did not have a spike on fourth down, it might as well have <laughs> because it was <laughs> it was about as bad as there was more on the coaches than the players. But like it was so eerily reminiscent of what we had, uh, aside from the spike, like just botched top, top management and just real utter confusion. Um, yeah, so uh, sorry if you're one of the like fifth, probably I'd say three Syracuse Chargers fans out there. Um, my wife was actually one of them until the Rams moved back. Oh, tough blow. <laughs> now, yeah, now, yeah, she uh, she rooted for the Rams until they left the first time, and then she was a Chargers fan. And then when the Rams came back, she jumped ship back to the Rams, and then the Chargers ended up in LA anyway, and play that's, and play ten minutes away from us. That's really funny. Yeah, it's all that she's um, a but in any well, case, I mean, <laughs> it, it, yeah. it, it's just a, a wacky dynamic. But um, oh yeah, while we're talking about the NFL, I didn't mention uh, that that there are fans of two first place teams on this podcast now. Yes, there are. Congrats! <laughs> I uh, I don't know how long it's gonna last. Um, might be forever. If it <laughs> might, I said going into the week, I'm like, I kind of the Giants are, and I, this was not this is not me having an original take. Um, the Giants, I think, have just been kind of unquestionably playing the best football in the NFC East. Um, now Daniel Jones is hurt, and like I don't know that Colt McCoy will be that much worse. But and they almost lost to the Bengals. On I mean, if you're in the NFC East, you're gonna almost lose every game. It's just a matter of like not losing all of them and losing only like two thirds of them, and you'll be fine. I mean, there's I, I was using the playoff machine a week ago on, on ESPN, <laughs> and 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 there's a very like without even going the homer route, there's a very easy path for a five and eleven Giants team to win the division. Oh, it's it's super in play. Um, <laughs> like every like realistically, five and eleven can do it because I think there's only like one division game left for everybody. So yeah, if it, if they if they all lose every other game and the Giants just beat the Cowboys, like like also, they, I- there's the season. Any any uh, any fan that's not a fan of one of the NFC East teams that tells you they're not rooting for just the worst possible NFC East champion is absolutely lying to you. It's amazing. It's a great. It's one of the only good storylines of this NFL season, which which may end soon. Who knows? Oh god. Um, in any case, existential dread aside, um, you brought up the Giants have kind of been playing some of the best uh, football. I think some of the I mean for a little bit some of the best football uh, in the league for for like a good month and a half if you count like the Tampa Bay near like near win and some things like that. But like the Syracuse, like uh, that Louisville disaster aside and like you take a half versus wake um, the Clemson game for, for, you know, two and a half, three quarters, um, the BC game, this game, like they played hard. Like that's a, that's a thing. Like, like, like I, I, I didn't other, like the Louisville game is going to sit as an anomaly. I feel the Louisville game, it did not look like they were playing hard. Um, it looked, it like, looked they like they had, were there. I didn't really it, understand what the hell happened. It looked like they had packed it in, and that's a really troubling sign. We talked about it the last couple of weeks. This week, it did not. Obviously, we were you know driving to win the game uh, at the end. I mean, we you know somehow with like scotch tape put together an almost game-winning drive at the end that didn't at any moment look like it was uh, coherent. Um, but like, I mean, the Clemson game, like you said, BC, they fought really tough. Um, the uh, Wake obviously like looked bad. It fell apart. Like a lot of these are just falling apart. Um, but they've played really hard more more often than not. And when you're talking about a really bad team, a team that's almost definitely finishing one in ten, and it's miraculous again that we are going to maybe be the only ACC team to finish to play its entire schedule as scheduled. <laughs> it's it's unbelievable. It's a death sentence. <laughs> I think we were there were there were thirteen teams going into the weekend that had had some kind of change. I don't know where we're at now. I forgot what the other team was. 
Um, but Notre Dame, Clemson, Miami. Was it BC was the other one? Maybe it was BC. I thought they had something changed, but I could be wrong. But like at, at best, there gonna be there's gonna be one other team that does its whole schedule playing every week as scheduled, which is like obviously aside from like the brief delay before the uh what was the the Georgia Tech game or whatever. Um yeah, it's remarkable. So I mean also, you know, that's a credit to, to the Syracuse too. Um say what you will about the fact that we're playing a season at all, but it seems like of all the teams, because obviously the Syracuse area, like the university has a ton of cases. Um the team seems to have taken it really seriously and done what it's needed to do just through the season for better or worse. Um, so credit to them for that. Um, and I think both these things speak to the team having not quit on, on Dino and it's not even a debate. Like Dino's going to be there next year. Wild Hats basically already said it. I know there have been some other firings elsewhere. It's not going to happen um, this year. Uh, and it, again, if next year does poorly, we'll, we'll obviously have plenty of discussions about uh, coaching searches and whatnot. Um, I think, uh, I don't know. Do you, do you start to, to Matt Brown's uh, uh, newsletter? I think his this morning was actually pretty um, insightful about situations where, like, obviously, this who was talking about Syracuse, he was talking about uh, uh, Michigan, Michigan, Texas, Texas, uh, Um, Nebraska specifically. Yes. But then, in light of like Muschamp getting fired and Derek Mason getting fired, um, and there's this like, I, I think it was a really interesting read. And he's that's a that's a really good newsletter if you're interested in like the real minutia of college football, um, check him out. But yeah, it was a good read for for Syracuse people who are like dead set on on Babers being gone. Um, there's just like obviously at some point, and we talked about this a few weeks ago. Like you know when a team when a when a coaching staff is done. Um, I don't think we're there yet for the reasons that we've outlined. Like they're late in the Schaefer era and definitely late in the G Rob era, or like most of the second half of the G Rob era. Like whether or not the teams were playing hard, like it just kind of looked like like you kind of knew it was over. Um, you you know you flip a coin a couple different ways this season and like maybe you pull out the the Duke game or the BC game or the NC State game like there were a lot of games where like the team fought up until the end and like they just weren't good enough or weren't deep enough um, so I think that it was kind of an, it there it was a good point that he made about how like firing the coach is like the easiest possible thing you can do but it does nothing to address the other things that are surrounding the program the challenges that that may that face most teams when it comes to building like super successful um regular regularly competitive uh teams um and like firing the coach is like the most obvious thing you can do because you could you know you get a new coach in there you have your opening press conference you get like a couple recruits that weren't looking at you before just by the nature of how this works and everyone feels good about it but it's very fleeting um and almost like he almost outlined that like the the actual or in many cases um a real inefficiency is actually just like waiting it out and making sure that it's uh that you need to fire him because so many schools are so fast to fire that like, it's very likely that there have been coaches who would have wound up succeeding that have gotten at the year too early. And then that school's still looking for it. Um, and, and, you know, maybe that would be the case here. Maybe, maybe not, but I, I do think that uh, it definitely does like, uh, and he wasn't talking about Syracuse specifically at all, but it definitely reinforced to me, like, yeah, you need to, to really wait this out, especially when you have like the only Syracuse coaches managed to win 10 games. Um, in like recent memory like yeah let's see what happens next year if this is a healthy team next year i still think there's like a pretty decent ceiling in terms of being competitive playing around if not above 500 ball and and uh getting things back on track and the fact that the team has not like you know was still playing really hard down the stretch here and hopefully they have a good outing in Notre Dame at least like look vaguely competitive for a bit um was was reassuring 
Yeah, honestly, for me, like I, I think a healthy Syracuse team this year uh, could have been 500 ish, uh, you know, just like we had we, we had guessed. And I think if you had looked at the initial schedule, um, I, I think that some games might have been more challenging than we thought, but others maybe not. We still could have found a way to six and six or so, um, you know, w- w- with a healthy roster. I think we, we don't need to rehash all the reasons why this happened. And, and, and I don't want them to come off as excuses because they're not. I think realistically you deal with the hand you're dealt. But yeah, I, I think that the, the next year is crucial in the fact that, that I think we kind of have to make a bowl game. But at the same time, like, I think it, we really are just like some luckier breaks and hopefully like some health away from putting together something that indicates that Dino can do this job. Well, I, I think he's already indicated he can. I just don't think he's indicated it consistently. It's what, what we can debate is, is how much of that is his fault versus just a product of the job and, and the challenges that come with, with Syracuse football. Um, you know, my series a couple of weeks ago around, uh, you know, how to fix Syracuse football in the long term, kind of get, get to the heart of some of those problems of like, how we how we make up a spending gap, how we make up a resources gap, facilities gap um, that comes with you know playing against teams in, in a conference who you know had a ten to fifteen year head start on us from like a real power conference money standpoint, like the fact that we are uh, you know on an island um, you know from from a recruiting standpoint, from a travel standpoint, we have to spend more money on recruiting top players because there aren't that many. Um, in our general area, but realistically, like the biggest thing is just the constructs around Syracuse football as an entity are not fully rounded into what they need to be to be consistently successful. Um, and, and that's why when, when people ask, you know, why we're not doing with B, why we don't look the way BC looks, uh, why we're not looking the way Wake looks, um, the way that Duke looks like that's why it's, it's because we don't have those structures in place yet. Cause they haven't been fully realized. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't have fired Robinson or that Marone, we should be pissed off that Marone left or that we shouldn't have fired Schaefer. It just means that because we haven't had that much stability in recent years, we haven't been able to create the structure that can lead to like consistent long-term success. Yeah, and that's that's a really difficult thing. Like you have to look. I mean, we we've we discuss pretty frequently. Like there are so few teams that have managed to break up, like that move up in tiers. Um, it happens very rarely. Um, like the only team to really join the blue bloods in in forever is Clemson, and they have significant institutional will to do it. Um, I don't think you'll ever see that at Syracuse or most schools. I think Clemson made it a central part of their universities like basic basically their strategy as a university was like let's get really good at football and it will probably they also happen to hire the right person like they hire the right person yes the, the guy who can acquire the talent to make it work and completely and they i would say they lucked into it <laughs> like when Dabo when he was hired he was the wide receivers coach he had no like he had been in alabama as a walk-on like he had like you know he'd been at clemson for a bit so he obviously knew what was going on there uh, and he had a great vision like he, he ended up being a home run um, I don't think anyone at the time uh, was saying that was like going to fix the program, um, but they had the combination of a guy who had a vision to do it and also just like real institutional will to do it. Um, you're never going to do that at Syracuse and not for, for better or worse. Like there are more important things in football, um, but like, it's just not going to be the case. Now can we get like 25% more uh, we can, like get like partially part of the way there and, and really reap the benefits of it and be like pretty competitive almost every year. Yeah, that's certainly possible. So um, 
and also it kind of like bidets like one thing bidets the other if you can can kind of sneak out some more of these like kind of dream 2018 seasons not every 20 years but every like 10 years and it becomes like part of the the great experience that people have going to Syracuse then you can start to get there so it's like it, that's kind of the issue is is one thing leads to the other um but like and coaches have more success when you have more support and then the other way around like when when you know coaches probably last longer when they have more support and then great coaches help build that support at the same time so i don't really know what the answer is uh otherwise i'd be making millions of dollars uh consulting um but i i, I do know that like there is something to uh, when you have a coach who has had some success at a place that is very, very hard to succeed at, which is the case with Syracuse, whether we want to admit it or not, um, you wait. And like, if you look at the stuff with uh, Derek Mason, which is an interesting comparison um, this weekend for a number of reasons, um, it's really f- interesting to see the stuff coming out of like the Sarah Fuller situation where she kind of, I, I don't think she meant to throw anyone under the bus. I just honestly, like she's coming from uh, SEC women's soccer, which is not the same, uh, doesn't have the same level of like coverage and discussion around it as football, obviously. And she was just very odd, like plainly uh, just said like, yeah, these guys were not motivated. Um, I felt like I needed to do it as like a newcomer to the team uh, coming off an SEC championship from a different sport. Um, it was like about the most damning thing as you could say about Mason's uh, coaching staff as you could get. Um, I don't know that she would have said the same thing if she had come to the Syracuse football program, which is kind of the difference there. Like, I, I don't know enough about Vanderbilt offhand to say, like, oh, yeah, Mason had, like, lost the team or whatever. But when you have someone go onto the team, play for a couple of games, and be like, oh, yeah, everyone on the sideline is just dead the whole time. And uh, there was just, like, no culture of, like, support and winning there. Like, that's pretty damning. And that's, like, kind of what we're talking about when, when you know, you know it's over. Um, and that's what everyone kind of responded to today and, and yesterday after that came out. Like, oh, yeah, this uh, it, t- it really makes sense that they fired Derek Mason now um, versus Babers, uh, you know for all the struggles and all the, the complaints we have about like the coaching. And I, I really want a new offense next year of some sort, like not, not a total revamp, but I, I, I if they move on from Sterling Dilbert this year, I'd be thrilled. Like, I think real structural things do need to change before next year, but I don't think the buy-in is lacking. I think uh, the guys here, like playing hard, obviously you had some opt-outs, but that comes with the pro the, the territory of having talented players. Um, yeah. Like I think, we haven't got fallen off that part of it yet. And that's like kind of uh, the, the last thing that goes, but it's also one of the most important things. Like if guys are playing for, you know, if the team is playing for you, like you're going to have a shot to do stuff. Um, that's where like those early season upsets come from. Like you're, when you're, when you're totally outclassed now talented, like that's where those wins come from. So hopefully we still have that going into next year and we have significantly better health and luck and everything else. And we can like put together a nice, like six or seven win season um and then it'll be like kind of funny to them then everyone will just be i guarantee obviously there'll be some people who still don't believe in babers for uh various reasons um but most people who were like starting to to question him and for legitimate reasons will probably be right back on board and we'll look back on this and say like oh yeah it was pretty obvious why things went bad in 2020 everyone was hurt (laughs) yeah i completely agree with everything there um because i know we're short on time dan i'm going to do into a quick uh prediction uh for the Syracuse Notre Dame game if you want to give yours oh uh, god I thought that was happening yeah I uh <laughs> knowing that we're not gonna win um I'm gonna go with 41 to I'm gonna go with 41 to 7 in this one but I think it could easily end up being something like 50 to 7 I just don't think Notre Dame's gonna be trying all that hard in the second half if they get a big lead yeah, I'm kind of around the same line. I'm going to go 45-6. Uh, 
I think Notre Dame will will try to open this up big in the first half. They are playing for the playoff. They need style points. Um, if they lose to Clemson in the ACC championship, like they want to be able to fall back on like we were dominant this whole time and beat Clemson the first time. So um, I think we're going to get their best shot at least for the first half. Maybe they take their foot off the pedal after that. Um, but yeah, so it's probably going to do ugly. And like you just hope that I, the the team plays well and plays and and fights and like does what they can. But Notre Dame's really this is the best Notre Dame team I think in a long time. This is why I think the best team they've had under Kelly. Um, I know they've played in a national championship and a playoff before. Um, I think this team's a lot better than both those teams. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, all right, Dan. So appreciate you being on as always. And uh, hopefully we get to enjoy at least parts of the Notre Dame game on Saturday. And, and you know, some basketball that looks uh, less uh, frightening than the first game. <laughs> really, if we, again, if we beat Niagara 85-84, I'm terrified. But that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you, everybody, for listening to Troy Noons and Absolute Podcast. You can rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, Megaphone, uh, TuneIn, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts, and go orange. Orange.